The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Thank you for tuning in today. We have a special guest with us, Garrett Salpeter. Garrett has used his training in engineering and neuroscience to create the company called NewFit and its patented newbie device. If you follow Dr. Terry Walls from the Walls Protocol on social media, you likely have heard of this product, the newbie, because she shares about it frequently. It's something that she uses to help her muscles get stronger and to help her day-to-day mobility. In today's episode, Garrett talks to us about how we can actually get stronger when you have a neurodegenerative disease, as well as what the newbie is and how it's different from other electrical stimulation devices out there. And lastly, he gives us specific parameters on how we can use the newbie in order to work towards our goals of getting stronger and improving our mobility. Garrett, thank you so much for being here with us today. Dr. Gretchen, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. So before we get into all of the nitty gritty details that everyone really wants to learn, I'm going to ask you a question from my interview deck so we can get to know you a little better. Does that sound okay to you? I mean, I'm I'm a little nervous to see what comes up, but I'm just kidding. Yes, please go ahead. (laughs) All right. Your question is, what's the last thing you've done that you are really proud of? Oh, the last thing I've done that I'm really proud of. Okay couple of, I mean, one personally, one professionally comes to mind. I mean, one is, is uh, last week I got to go train the Boston Red Sox on how to use their newbie device. So that, uh, that was, that was cool. That was a cool experience. And then um, uh, on the personal side, some work that, that I and my wife have both done with our daughter, younger daughter, helping her improve her reading. We've been reading with her before bed every night and she's getting a lot better. So I feel a lot of pride in her improvement there. Wow. Those are two really great things. I love that you've won for each area of your life. Very cool. It's it's Uh, fun to take, take a little time to like acknowledge victories. You know, I think I'm kind of that type A personality. Just want to go on to the next thing on the next thing. So it's a good, thank you for that question. That was actually nice to just pause and reflect for a moment. (laughs) Yeah, it is nice. I think that we actually should do more of that just throughout the day of thinking those things. So it's so easy to get stuck in the mundane of just get to work and then do all the things and then finish your day. Totally, totally. 
Yeah. All right. So I've got so many questions for you. I'm going to try to keep them in a nice sequence. And most of my listeners, I'm assuming if they have heard of you, they know you from the newbie, mostly from Dr. Terry Walls and all of the work that she does. And she posts a lot on social media about the newbie and new fit. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, can you first explain to us what is hypertrophy and why is it important? How do we get it to work? Especially when it comes to a lot of our listeners with multiple sclerosis, how does hypertrophy work into their life? Yes, absolutely. So muscle hypertrophy literally means muscle growth. So the opposite of hypertrophy is atrophy where muscles can shrink over time. And it's really important to consider maintaining appropriate amounts of muscle mass for a few reasons. One is quality of life, the ability to just do activities of daily living. It takes muscle, of course, to, to stabilize ourselves and standing and walking to get up and down from the toilet to be able to transfer to, you know, onto beds and chairs and other surfaces. So there's some amount that we need just for, for daily activities. And then also there's some really interesting research on connections between muscle mass and longevity and how people have better longevity, reduced all-cause mortality, you know, extra decades of life based on maintaining healthy amounts of muscle mass. So it's this really big variable that can move the needle on quality of life, on health, on health span and lifespan, you know, in, in a lot of different ways there. So maintaining muscle mass overall is a really important topic. And in order to, in order to induce hypertrophy or to maintain muscle mass, there's, there's two main parts to this puzzle. And the first is that, not surprisingly, if we want to you know, maintain or even build our muscles, we have to challenge and we have to use them from time to time. So the use it or lose it principle applies with the tissues of the body in the realm of neuroplasticity. It applies really across the board. So if you, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? If you don't use our muscles, they will atrophy over time. And there's really interesting research. Like if you look at astronauts who are in that out in space in that weightless environment where we're just the force we don't have that they don't have that force of gravity pushing down on them they don't have to resist against that during the day their atrophy will begin you know, in 24 hours like the the body our brains are are set up to conserve energy first and foremost care about survival and it takes energy to maintain muscle mass so only will the body do that only will the body invest that energy if it sees a survival need to maintain that muscle mass to invest that energy in those resources so the way that we of course teach or inform the brain that there is important survival benefits to maintaining muscle mass is to use our muscles and not surprisingly then activity and exercise becomes the the key first step, the prerequisite to maintaining or building muscle. And the keys there are basically that the exercise be challenging enough to induce some fatigue and to call upon enough motor units. So what motor units are basically the muscle is not just one thing. There's, you know, in, in a, in a, in a bicep muscle, there can be thousands and thousands of muscle fibers and a group of say a hundred, hundred fibers might be controlled by one motor unit. So one nerve group would control a bigger group of fibers. And there's some of those that are like, we've heard of slow twitch muscles or fast twitch muscles, perhaps. Some of the motor units 
control the, the slower twitch muscles that are more just like daily activity, more for endurance. We have to get those to fatigue to some degree and, and force the brain, force, force the body to call on the other motor units that the, the more powerful ones that take up more energy, that fatigue faster, but that have more opportunity for growth. We need to call upon some of those to stimulate some of those and deplete those in order to, to set the stage for hypertrophy. And so that happens with exercise. And you know, it's important, of course, to exercise safely. You're the work that you do to help uh, people with MS or other neurodegenerative conditions be able to exercise, I think is, is wonderful. We can talk about how NuFit and the newbie can help get that exercise stimulus for people who, who can't because they've, they've lost so much strength or control or you know for other issues that they, they can't do it. We can talk about how that'll help, but that's the first prerequisite. And it's important to remember that that is only a prerequisite because hypertrophy, muscle growth or maintenance even, but, but the growth actually happens during the recovery phase. So we're talking about the 24 to 48 hours mostly after that exercise session, that's when the real magic happens. And that's when the body will invest those resources towards the long-term growth and repair project of uh, rebuilding muscle mass. And there's a few things that have to be in place for that to happen. So we have to be in a healthy hormonal environment because hormones like testosterone, both for males and females need to be present. These more anabolic hormones, because that's what what triggers an insulin also, that's what, what triggers muscle cells to take up these extra building blocks that they'll use to build new muscle tissue. Whereas if you're just flooded, the system's flooded with stress hormones, that actually sends the opposite signal. That tells the muscles to release energy, to not build up, but to just dump everything out to meet an immediate challenge. So the hormonal environment's really important. Uh, the, the presence or absence of inflammation, right? We want to have ideally a relatively low amount of inflammation generally, which, you know, of course is a good segue into talking about Dr. Walls and the Walls protocol and all that stuff. Um, and then, you know, the raw materials have to be present. So the body needs in order to build muscle needs to have enough energy. There needs to be a surplus of energy left over. You know, we talk about survival and protection, there's a minimum amount of energy we need to spend just to keep our heart beating, just to keep the basics working to live, you know, each day. And then there has to be a surplus left over to have those energy and resources left over to invest that. So, so metabolic health, energy, mitochondrial function, all that's important. And then having the raw materials and the building blocks. So we need to have enough protein and uh, that literally is, you know, like if you're trying to build a, a house, you need the actual bricks. You need the, the, the wooden lumber to make the frame and you need the bricks to build the wall or whatever the stone or whatever the material is or a nice stucco. You need, I mean, you need to have the physical things from which the tissue is built. So you need to have all those present. And it's both that you got to stimulate the process through appropriate exercise. Then you have to create the environment and support all of that to happen afterwards. So hopefully that's, you know, a overview that'll resonate with the people listening. Yeah, I think that's great. And it's so true for so many things. I'm recently getting a lot of information over the last few months on remyelination and it's the same thing. Ideally we'll have something that can help produce more myelin for those with MS or other demyelinating diseases, but you also have to have the appropriate environment. And 
exercise is the same. You know, you need the exercises, but there's so much else that's also important in reaping the full benefits of that. And one of those, as you mentioned, being rest. One thing that I get questioned a lot about is, well, how many days a week should I exercise? And people think that they should be exercising seven days a week. And if they're not, then they're not going to get results. But as you're saying, growth actually happens during the recovery days and the rest days. So. Absolutely. And uh, one thing, if I, if I may just, when you said that, you know, bringing in remyelination, I think that's awesome. One of my favorite descriptions of, you know, talking about remyelination or trying to induce any sort of neurological changes is to actually really uh, try to apply that same line of thinking that we just talked through in hypertrophy, apply that to nervous system, neuro, neuroplasticity, neuroplasticity and neurological adaptations. If you, if you train your muscles and you create the environment for the hypertrophy or, or muscle building to happen, it'll happen. If you also train your nerves and you create the environment for it to happen, they too can, can repair, remyelinate, can make these changes just like the muscles do. It's really the same, you know, same process, just an analogous kind of parallel path. Yeah, absolutely. It's so inspiring that that can actually happen. You know, sometimes I feel like it sounds like it's too good to be true, but it actually can change men in many different areas, not just for, for strength, but actually growing new neural pathways. So, so let's get into, you just explained to us how, how we can grow muscles. Now, what is new fit and the newbie? Can you explain, especially for someone who maybe this is their first time hearing of this? Yeah, absolutely. So new fit, the, the name of our business is neurology and fitness. We've tried to put those together because I believe very strongly that if the nervous system works well, that it really is the ultimate control system for everything. And that if, if we optimize the nervous system and how it responds to trauma and injury, we can, we can really accelerate and optimize the healing process, the recovery process and physical therapy. If the nervous system works well, generally, we can have better health and more energy all day long and digest our food more effectively, eliminate waste better, manage the stress and challenge in our lives, be more resilient and have a, you know, a more kind of constructive emotional state, emotional life too. I mean, there's so many things the nervous system controls. So uh, that's, you know, why we chose to name the business, what we did and why we put that first, first and foremost or front and center. And then the newbie device is, is kind of our flagship technology. So we have this device and we have these methods that we, that we implement. And the common theme throughout all of it is applying principles of neuroscience into daily practice in, in physical therapy, in, in fitness and performance training, all these different realms where we're working. And the, the newbie device, so newbie stands for neurobioelectric. And what makes it unique, for people who are listening, obviously you can't see it. For people who are watching, you can see I have a device sitting back behind me here. It's actually the, the, the first prototype. So I keep that at home. It's sort of like a, like a museum artifact or something, but uh, it's a fun, fun little history, you know, piece of history. And part of what makes it unique is that it's direct current as opposed to alternating current. And what that allows us to do is interact with the nervous system in this more powerful and more precise way. And part of what I mean by that is that if we're talking about, um, let's say, let's say we're talking about a, uh, like an acute injury, someone rolls their ankle or 
or, you know, we're in the middle of the football playoffs right now. Someone uh, lands on the ground and hits their shoulder and they get, a, you know, a shoulder sprain or something like that. So, uh, and then we'll, then we'll take these same principles. We'll apply them into MS and neurodegenerative conditions also. So the, in this, in response to this acute injury, what happens is the, the brain and nervous system, again, we're oriented towards survival and protection. So the brain and nervous system are going to shut down muscles in that area. They're going to, they're going to turn on others to create excessive tension. And they're going to do all that with an eye towards trying to lock down that area and prevent you from moving it. Cause they think one, oh my gosh, we might get hit again at any moment. And two, we don't want to move this thing because we don't want to risk hurting it worse. And the, the issue is that many times we create those, those patterns and they actually limit and impair and delay the healing process because that excessive tension, for example, can block the blood flow that the body needs to be sending in order to bring those nutrients and raw materials there to heal. And so one of the things that we can do in that example with the machine is take, take one electrode pads and scan around on the body and identify where the brain and nervous system are imposing those patterns, where those protective patterns of guarding might be, where the body's bracing, protecting, or where it's inhibiting, which basically means you know, turning off or shutting down muscles. And then what we can do is, is take advantage of that unique property of the direct current, where normally if you use a traditional TENS unit or Russian stim or these alternating current devices, virtually all of them are alternating current because some of the history of direct current where in the past, it would, it would sting and burn the skin when you turn it up to a high enough level. So direct current for years just got thrown out completely. So that's why most devices these days are alternating current because you don't get stinging, burning, it's more comfortable. So we've been able to engineer ways to get direct current into the body. And so a traditional alternating current device, when you turn it up to a high enough level to actually induce change or adaptation in this realm of neuromuscular function, the alternating current devices are gonna cause a lot more muscle contraction. And that, uh, there can be some benefits to that. You can, you can get a little bit of, you know, pumping action, get some blood flow there. The issue though, is that one, if you're in an area that's already guarding and protecting, you want to try to relax rather than contract those muscles. And two, you actually end up causing muscles to co-contract and fight against each other. So what that means is it's, it's like, if you were driving your car and you were hitting the throttle and the brake pedal at the same time, you're like resisting your own movements. And it's, you know, it's very, inefficient at least. So what this allows us to do is to, instead of, instead of just causing muscles to contract, when we find those areas, we can send this direct current signal in and we can create this input. So instead of like output and muscle contraction, we can create this input into the brain and nervous system, telling the brain that this area of the body is moving, even if it's still, we will do, we'll do some movement, but it's telling the brain that those areas are being loaded and allowing the brain to recalibrate or re-educate how it's controlling that area. So if the brain is, is saying, stop, 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 it's sounding these, these kind of overreactive hypersensitive alarm bells, we can show the brain, you know, the brain might be limiting you to 20%. We can show you 21, 22, 23, 24, 25%. We can show you 30, 40% and your brain can see, oh yeah, okay, 39%, we can actually do that 40%, ah, we're not ready for that yet. So it'll, it'll actually allow the brain to recalibrate. And sometimes we'll see like in these examples, these football players, someone will get their arm, you know, they can't lift it more than 20 degrees. All of a sudden they'll be able to lift it all the way up overhead in, in one session. I mean, you know, it's not always a home run in the first session like that. It's not always that dramatic, but there are cases like that where it kind of allows us to tell 
how much of the issue is functional versus how much of it is really truly structural. Because a lot of times the limitation, the pain, the lack of function is because of the functional neurological response more so than the actual injury itself. And that principle holds true when we're talking about MS also. Uh, we actually, I was very fortunate to have you on, on our podcast just a couple weeks ago. And, and we had a, a lovely conversation there about um, how you will give some of your patients very strategic exercises and you'll see them make some progress very quickly, like in, in just a few days. So there's kind of these two phases, like the short-term and long-term changes. And when you, when you see like with an athlete who can lift their arm up overhead in one session or with an MS patient who in the span of, you know, a few sessions who had drop foot can now lift their foot up you start to wonder like, okay, is that now it's, it's the equivalent version of, okay, the shoulder didn't heal, but the function of that area improved. Now, did the nerves actually heal in the span of, you know, a session or a span of a few days? Like, no, we know neuroplasticity, the remyelination that takes longer. What happened is that person already had the ability to lift their foot. Their, their brain and nervous system were just blocking them from being able to do it be probably because of learned disuse. If the brain, if you're, not, if you're not able to use an area as well, you start to use it less and less, and that creates these neurological patterns of avoidance, of trying to stay away from and not use that area, and it becomes more of a, like a self-imposed habit than an actual limitation, and so with the device, same sort of thing. We can scan around on that patient's body, identify where some of those patterns of beer being imposed where some of that inhibition is. And sometimes we'll see these really cool things. We do these uh, weekend boot camps for MS patients at our office in Austin. And we're, we have some tentative plans to start offering them at other locations around the, around the US, at least for now, and maybe other countries in the future. And we see some people in the span of three days, in the span of a weekend, make you know, really cool progress. And that has to do with tapping into what's already there just is, is unable to be expressed for some of these neurological reasons. And so enabling that recalibration, sending that sensory input in there, not just having an electrical stimulation device that's contracting muscles and doing it for you and kind of becomes a crutch, but something that actually provides that neurological input so that you, the patient, can learn to do this better for yourself so that when you get off the machine, things actually work better and you start to sustain some progress. And then we can talk about how continuing to apply that, that input, that stimulation long-term helps us create that enough of that neurological input so we can reach that critical mass, that, that critical threshold of creating enough input to really drive those long-term neurological changes as well. So part of it is the, you know, in terms of, in terms of new fit and how it can help people. Really, it's it's about tapping into the power of the nervous system to adapt and how the direct current allows us to do that along with these methods, the way it's combined with exercise, the way we identify where to put the pads, the way that we have these progressions that honor the, the rates of adaptation of the nervous system and how everything kind of combines together there. Oh my gosh. I have so many thoughts and further questions to break that down. So 
first of all, you mentioned that this is very different from a lot of the other devices that are out there because the newbie is direct current. So just to throw some other names out there, there's functional electrical stimulation that people can get while they're on a bike. There's regular TENS or transcutaneous electrical neural stimulation. There's the walkie, there's BioNest. So those are all in the alternating current uh, category. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Okay. So this is really the only thing that I know of that is direct current. Do you know of anything else that's direct current? Well, it's, it's really interesting. As I mentioned a little bit, you know, direct current really fell out of favor because the, some of the original work was actually done by the Soviet sports scientists. So in, you know, in like the sixties and seventies, when the Soviets are trying to win all these Olympic gold medals to prove that they're communist system is the best in the world. And so this really robust, amazing sports science program, and they found benefits of direct current, but they literally would burn their athletes. Like their athletes would leave sessions with burn marks on their skin. So, so we can't do that over here. Right. And uh, because of that direct current fell out of favor. So that has been a big breakthrough to be able to get these, these high enough, these therapeutic levels of direct current into the body without burning the skin. And there are, there are some direct current devices out there, but they're mostly in the microcurrent realm because they can't turn it up as much. So some of these like bone stimulators that are out there or frequency specific microcurrent devices, um, we actually, because this is, you know, or, well, we're able to use this for frequency specific microcurrent as well, which is a whole wonderful and different paradigm, but the, the devices out there, yes, for the most part, you know, coming back to an you know, actual answer to your question, virtually all of them are alternating current, yes. Gotcha, okay. Hey guys, it's me again. I just wanted to chime in quickly and remind you that the Newbie protocol works best for people with MS when you're simultaneously performing MS-specific strengthening exercises. If you're curious as to which exercises you should be doing to reach your goals of improved mobility, consider checking out my online MS wellness program, The Missing Link. This program is designed to teach you exactly which exercises you should be doing to improve your leg strength your balance, and your walking. Check out a behind the scenes video in the show notes to see if it would be a good fit for you and your goals. All right, let's get back to it. So you had also mentioned that you have some clients who with, within a weekend of this boot camp, they already can lift their ankle higher or um, their leg higher, do some type of movement better. And of course, everyone's gonna be different, I'm sure. For some people, they'll notice improvements within a few days. Others might be, um, what would you say, like a year, six months, two years? What's the, what's more on the longer end? Like how long should someone continue using this and practicing this, hoping that their body will find a neural pathway into, into connection networks? That's, that's such a good question. And part of the answer is, you know, I think that not, not to sound well, I don't know how, how it'll sound, but, you know, I think that to some degree we're either growing or dying. And, you know, like if you put a cell in culture, it doesn't just stagnate. It's either going to be like, you know, growing or, or shrinking right? and uh, or living and doing its thing or, or moving towards dysfunction. And I think that the, the reason I say that is that we always have some requirement that we always are going to need to be doing something. And so we can continue to make progress 
forever and ever and ever. So in order, in terms of how long is the process going to take, it depends how far somebody wants to go. And one example of that, so um, in, uh, in, in my book, the, the New Fit Method, there's, uh, there's chapters on how to apply these principles of neuroscience into different elements. And so there's a chapter on how to apply this to specifically to help patients with neurological injuries and neurodegenerative conditions. And the main story that we feature in that chapter is uh, I tell the story of a woman named Wendy who came to see us in Austin. She, she flew down from Wisconsin because she heard an interview that I had done with Dr. Walls. And she came down and when she was in a wheelchair, she'd been in a wheelchair somewhere between five and 10 years. She had been dealing with MS, you know, two to three decades. I mean, she'd been dealing with it for a while, but it just in the last five to 10 years became debilitating. She had to give up her driver's license. She, she couldn't work and she needed a nearly full-time caregiver at home. So she, you know, she had a significant level of disability. And when she came down for that first week, I think it's a really cool story because it helps us see these sort of short-term and long-term phases. So in that first week, we, we did two sessions a day over, over five days and started to see some cool things happen. We worked together twice on the first day and she came in for the second day and she said, look what I can do. And she's, she's in her wheelchair and without, without any help, she, she straightens her leg. So she lifts up her foot, straighten, extends her knee, straightens her leg out. And she had the strength to be able to do that for the first time in, in years after just the first day. So we're thinking, okay, good. You know, we're going in the right direction. Let's, let's keep this going. And then at, at the uh, end of the third day, her husband and I had been uh, putting on her shoes and socks at the end of each session. So at the end of the third day, we went to do that. And she said, hang on, let me, let me try this. And so she was able to, to lean down and put on her own shoes and socks for the first time again in years. And there it has to do with, you know, we talked about like guarding and protecting and, and for her spasms. And she was able to actually, actually get enough control and, and let go of those muscles enough to where she could reach down and, and do that. And she had told us, you know, at the beginning of the week, we asked her what her goals are. You know, she said, well, I got this stretch goal of like, maybe someday if I could walk my son down the aisle at his wedding, that would be a really cool one. I know you have a, a similar story too. And so at the, at the end of the day on Friday, at the end of her last session, she, she had been doing a little bit of standing with hand support and then she, she walked from where she was standing. We moved her wheelchair over and she walked a few steps holding onto her husband's hand. And like our, you know, our team is sitting there in tears and it's this wonderful thing. And she was making great progress. So she wanted to bring a machine home and she worked with our team remotely to create custom programs for her and she stuck with it and she kept making progress. And you know, those first couple steps with her husband's hand got to longer bouts of walking with a walker and she continued to make progress over time. And so she had this, this foundation this of solid progress that motivated her to want to continue. And then she kept doing it. You know, she would train with the machine three or four days a week consistently hour to an hour and a half. And a year and a half later, fast forward through all that time, she continued to make progress. I mean, you know, reaching some, some milestone almost every week, something new, being able to walk farther, being able to increase dexterity, being able to lift her arm higher, being able to do, you know, do more activities of daily living. Eventually she got her license, driver's license back. She, she weaned off of needing, uh, needing a caregiver at home and re regained her autonomy. And then, you know, a year and a half later, she ended up walking her son down the aisle at his wedding. And it was this wonderful, amazing moment. So she was able to continue to make progress 
you know, these kind of small victories along the way. And, and each one, you know, if you're in it, they do seem like a lot from the outside. They may not seem like a lot, but, but certainly no one can argue with over time, the amount of progress that she accumulated and the transformation that she made. And so, yeah, there's definitely, uh, uh, definitely something to be said for, for, you know, how we underestimate what we, what we can do, what we can do in the short term, but sorry, we overestimate sometimes what we can do in the short term, but underestimate what we can do in the long term and how being diligent, you know, it's, it's a process creating these neuroplastic changes. We can help between the work that you're doing, between, you know, adding in a device like the newbie and these, some of these strategies, we can accelerate the process, but it is still a process. You know, if it might've taken her two and a half to three years on her own to make that progress, you know, we might've been able, you know, might've been able to shorten it to 18 months, but she still has to stick with it for 18 months, which not everyone, you know, necessarily is willing and able to do. Right. So what is that? And again, I'm sure this is different for every person, but generally speaking, when you're working with someone who has MS, is there a general guideline of you should be using the newbie along with your exercises for three days a week for an hour each time, and then you wean off or how does that typically look? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question in terms of the, where the rubber really meets the road, kind of getting down into that. And there's, there's averages that I can share with you. The, the framework that we want to use is like, like we talked about, like you mentioned here, that it's important to be able to rest and recover so you can get the benefits of the workout, whether we're talking about muscle hypertrophy, nerve healing, regeneration, adaptation, whatever process is going on, remyelination. And the, the, what we're really trying to do is have that balancing act between providing enough stimulation to kick off these wonderful processes inside the body and giving enough time for recovery and adaptation to take place so that we can accumulate progress over time. So it, it varies a little bit because it depends on that person's metabolic health, you know, their, their fitness history, their, you know, the status, their immune status, autoimmune, how, how high or low and how, how well or un, how well they're able to, to control their autoimmune status and, and, and many other things, nutrition, digestion, right? If they can break down their food and, and get the raw materials. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. For most people, you know, using it three times a week is a, is a really good sweet spot. And depending on the level of fatigue, depending on how people are adapting in between sessions, we can adjust up or down. Sometimes they'll have it on for 10 or 20 minutes or they use it a lot more at, at lower power settings. Sometimes they'll use it for longer or use more power settings or use treat more body areas in the same session. If someone can't recover, they may only work on their feet. If someone can do that and recover well, they might work on their feet and their core stability, trunk stability, be able to sit up without, without support and work on some hand dexterity all in the same session. So it kind of depends how, you know, we got to figure out how much we can throw at someone uh, and, and have them recover and, and get benefit from it. And then we tailor that. So we have a staff of uh, you know, several physical therapists who write these custom programs for people. And also, I mean, most people go and seek out a practitioner. So on our website, I can, you know, can share the link. We have a, a list of uh, certified people, uh, practitioners who are certified in the NUFIT method, many of whom, like you, are physical therapists. Some are chiropractors. Some are different, you know, different types of clinics or facilities. And 
most people are going in and working with somebody in person. So when we talk about someone like Wendy who brought a machine home, it's usually because either they there's not anyone near them offering it or it's just time or cost prohibitive to go see somebody that often. And it makes more sense to have a device at home and just work remotely like she was. Right, right. Okay. So I think my final question would be, of course, uh, you know, you're going to be doing this consistently using the newbie along with exercising. Do we know yet if you need to constantly use the newbie to continue seeing benefits? So let's say someone is using the newbie and exercising for two years. If they stop using the newbie but continue exercising, are they already recovered enough with their neural pathways where they're good? Or is this something where they would need to continue using the newbie? Otherwise they would lose some of the results that they've seen thus far. Oh, yes. This is, this is another one where there's, there's a bit of a range. And so we can definitely get into the different considerations here. You know, in the, the example of the, the acute athletic injury, like I talked about, like, like that one where we have this football player who all of a sudden after one session can lift his arm up overhead, that was that issue, that limitation there was because of the neurological response to injury and trauma. So in one session, it was mostly gone, you know, a couple more, it was all the way gone and he was kind of reset back to baseline. So unless he hits that same shoulder again, injures it again and triggers those same reactions again, that's going to be gone essentially for good. And then he gets into a, a maintenance phase and that's where, you know, it's like we don't brush our teeth once and we're good for the next week or month or year, as much as my kids would like that to be true, you know, uh, we, we always have some, you know, hygiene requirement for caring for our teeth, same thing, caring for our bodies. We're always going to have to have some movement requirement. It's like our nutrition for our body. And if we don't do that, like we talked about before, use it or lose it. We're going to, you know, we're going to stiffen up. We're going to lose muscle mass. We're going to lose function, all these different things. So the, if, if we, if we are able to get to the point and Wendy is an example of this, she, now that she's gotten to the point where, you know, she had her, her driver's license back, she's able to go back and volunteer at the school where she was working, but had to give up her job. So she, uh, I don't know if she, uh, you know, I don't know, she doesn't use the newbie more than, you know, she, she still trains several times a week. She might use a newbie like one of those. I'll have to figure out what the latest is, but she doesn't use it nearly as much anymore. And she's able to maintain perhaps even continue to make progress. So it's not like you're dependent on, on it forever. The goal is to use it to help, you know, accelerate and maximize progress towards our goal. And then depending on, you know, once we reach that goal, then the question is, okay, what's, what's the next goal? And if the goal is, let's just do some of our own exercise without the newbie to maintain this wonderful progress we've made. Great. You might need it to touch up here and there, or, or, you know, you might need it a little bit, but you may not need it at all. If the goal is like, okay, I got to walking with a walker and then I still have a long way to go to get to walking unassisted. You know, I'm probably still going to want to keep using it because there's just so much to be done and it can help really, get more work done in less time, get more bang for the buck in all those sessions and help us, you know, accumulate that amount of work that we need to get done, help us accumulate that faster. So it kind of depends on the, on the circumstances, but there, there does become a time where, you know, 
you're, you're always weighing the, the pros and cons and what do I need to do to reach my next goal? And there, there does come a time where, you know, it's definitely possible to wean off. So it's not like you have to be dependent on, on this machine or any machine, you know, for, for the rest of your life. Right. Awesome. Okay. So, and you mentioned too, that it's best potentially, if it's possible to work with someone in person and you'll give me that link so that I can put it in my show notes so people can see who around them, which PTs uh, actually have the newbie and can work with them, but otherwise they can get one at home. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a possibility. And what most people would like to do if they're going to do that is, is, you know, try it for a few months so you can use it, see what the progress is like, see, uh, you know, how, you know, see if you're even able to work it in your routine and use it enough to, to really see it as part of the long-term solution there. So there's, there's, you know, rental and purchase options, all of which come with our team supporting you and creating custom programs and things like that. But it is definitely wherever possible. It's, it's definitely at least to start for an evaluation and, and kind of the learning on-ramp phase, you know, it's better to do it in person if possible. So I would definitely encourage people to seek out somebody near them if there happens to be someone accessible. Yeah. And just for our listeners too, I have a few missing link members who use the newbie and some of them go to physical therapy clinics to work with someone there and others go to a gym near them where they have someone who's trained in the newbie. So uh, it can be, it doesn't have to be a physical therapy setting. As long as you have someone who's trained in the newbie, then it, it should work out. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a medical device. So if it's being used in a gym or something like that, it's usually, or it would be like under the supervision of, of someone with a medical credential, but it can be, there's, there's these MS gyms or different places where there definitely can be applications there. So nothing that the users uh, that listeners would, you know, necessarily need to worry about because yeah, whoever's using it, you know, if there's a lot on our website, they're certified in it, they've been trained and you can be, you know, generally confident that they'll know what they're doing with it. There are, there are some people using it that specialize more in sports medicine and don't do a lot of work with neuro patients. So there is a little bit of that. And then there's some that have a lot of experience and, and do that. So, so it is, there is a little bit sometimes of that dynamic of we got to figure make sure that whoever's there is, is comfortable taking on someone with a, you know, with a neurodegenerative condition or working mm-hmm. on, on these sorts of things. But, you know, most of them, most of them are, um, are able to do it, especially, now that you know we've done this work with Dr. Walls, and there's a lot of people seeking treatment, and um, a lot of them, a lot of them now have have really solid experience in this area. Awesome. So we'll stick to the people that you have on your website, and again, I'll put that in our show notes for the listeners. Um, and then there's a webinar too that people can watch, right? Yes, that's right. So the webinar is uh, the link is newfit n e u f i t dot easywebinar.live slash MS registration. So it's a little bit of a little bit of a uh, longer one to, to speak there, but on that, so that is a, it's only about 10 or 12 minutes and it's a pre-recorded webinar so you can watch it, but it offers times because our team can be on there for like live Q and A and different things like that. So um, if you go to that website, it's a great opportunity to just learn a little more about what that process would be like if you wanted to get a device or or try out that sort of remote working arrangement that uh, that we were chatting about there. 
Very cool. And I'll put that link also in the show notes for you guys. And then lastly, yeah. Can you just tell us about your book, The New Method? Yes. Thank you so much. I, uh, I guess, so this, you asked me at the beginning, you know, something I'm, I'm proud of. I mean, this, I am definitely proud of because I think that it shows the range of impact that we can have with people, health and wellness and recovery and healing by applying these principles of neuroscience. So it starts with a little bit of basic neuroscience and then it talks about how we can weave that into to rehabilitation from sports injuries, surgery, neurological conditions, and then talks about some general fitness and athletic performance and then overall health of the nervous system and how that can influence our longevity and function in, in different areas and you know kind of ties it all together so uh, you know i'm really really proud of the book it's uh, called the new fit method and it's available on amazon and uh, if, you know if anyone's interested in in learning a little bit more uh, i thankfully had a, a wonderful editor who helped me it was originally 130 something thousand words and very dense i had an editor who helped me literally cut it in half and make it a lot more accessible um, so we've, you know, I'm very grateful. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback on it. And uh, if anyone's interested, love, uh, love for you to check it out. Awesome. And I'll put that link in the show notes as well. So de- about three or four links will be in the show notes. So definitely make sure you guys check that out. But that was amazing. I learned so much from talking with you. And I know our, our listeners did as well. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us and helping us learn about the newbie. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Dr. Gretchen. It's been a wonderful honor and I'm so grateful to you for having me on. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.